Thank you, uh, David, and thank you, Jim. We never tell you thanks. All right. If you have your Bibles with you and want to look at them, uh, these days I'd hope when I say I, I, if you have your Bibles with you, a hundred people would open them up. You know. Turn to Luke chapter 4, if you're at home or here. Luke chapter 4 gives us the first recorded sermon of Christ. Um, I don't think his first sermon, but I think it gives the first recorded sermon in Luke chapter 4. The sermon um, was preached at the synagogue in his hometown, of Nazareth. And the reason I say I don't think it's the first is because he'd been ministering all around Judea for about eight months prior to this day. And uh, they had come to Galilee and, and uh, was beginning to do ministry there. And then if you look at four, verse 14, Luke says this. Reports. Reports about Jesus spread quickly through the whole region. Now, he had just come into this region at the end of that eight months and was walking around and, um, and doing many things, I'm sure. And I'm sure people had heard about him as he was in Judea doing all this stuff. But as his, was his, um, if we listen to the scripture, was his tradition always was to go on the Sabbath and go into a synagogue. And I imagine most places he went, they gave him the opportunity um, to share uh, the word. I, 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 I want you to know, I don't think when he went into the synagogue to worship uh, his father, it wasn't much different than we do here. I think they came in and, and they sang songs um, uh, from the hymns, you know, the, the psalms out of the, they would sing those psalms. And, um, and I think they would uh, have some fellowship time. I think they would talk about prayer concerns. I think they would lift up things that needed to be lifted up about the business of the, of the synagogue and everything. And, and then at one point or another, when it was all said and done, a teacher, what was called a rabbi, would um, get up and read, I think, if you listen to the history, history of that time, they would read much like we do today. You know, there's this thing today, I don't use it very often, it's called the lectionary. And the lectionary has a, laid out that you can go through the Bible in three years preaching and different texts. Um, um, I think they had the same thing. They had scriptures that were supposed to be read on certain days, Okay specific passages. And this day, Jesus was in the synagogue, and uh, um, I read one, one person who thought it just so happened that they handed him the scroll from Isaiah 61. And I don't think it just so happened. Do you know what I'm saying? They thought it was just unique that Jesus would get that. I don't think it was unique. I think it was God-ordained that um, he would be there that day in his hometown and the scripture that they would read would be Isaiah 61, talking about 
somebody coming to save them. Now, let's look on, uh, let's go to that next section, Fred. This is what Jesus read. He read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, and to proclaim, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So after Jesus read that, I don't know about you, but if I would have been one of the scribes, one of the Pharisees, one of the Sadducees, one of the people that heard them, him read that, I'd say, yeah, we're waiting on him. That's what they're waiting on. The, the, they were all waiting on this Messiah to come. There was no doubt in their minds that he was coming. 400 years that had been quiet. Now all of a sudden, this scripture is read. Jesus rolled that scroll up, gave it back to the attendant. The attendant put it back into the, into the wall where it belongs. And, and as custom was, Jesus went over somewhere and sat down. The teachers of that day sat down. And he looked at them and he said this. The eyes of all who... um, On the next verse, Fred. Yeah, the eyes of all in the sanctuary were fixed on him. And so this is then how Jesus began his first sermon that we have text of. Are you ready? Listen to this. Today, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. My friends, this is the word of God for all of his people. Thanks be to God. Amen. I'm telling you, in other words, what Jesus was saying to them, when Jesus looked at them and he said, Today, brothers, I want to tell you what, this scripture's been made complete. You've been waiting for this all these years. You've been waiting for it for 1,500 years, but 400 years of silence. You've been waiting for the Messiah to come. He says, I'm here. And what happened? Did everybody celebrate? No. Matter of fact, they got kind of ticked off. Because if you read the Scripture scripture and and him talking about this, we don't know what he said, but but when it was all done, they said, wait a minute, isn't this Joseph's son? (laughs) You know, put him down where he belongs. But I think, I think, my friends, we just read probably one of the most powerful pericopes of God's word. Because I believe in this passage, it tells us what Jesus came to do. It tells us what Jesus was all about. It tells us in this scripture what his priorities were and what his goals were. And in the rest of his life, I believe if you listen in the Gospels and read them closely, you'll see that he tried to live up to all five of these things, all four of these things right here. So I'm glad we have a little time this morning because I want to share with you what Jesus is, what he came to do, what he was about, what his goals were and what was his priority. And I bet you um, these five things that I'm going to share with you um, apply to all of our lives. 
every one of us sitting here today, every one of us at home, every person who is in Christ, who is following Christ, these five things tell us what Jesus came to do for us, for me, for you, for everyone. And I want to tell you what my thought is. We should let him do it. We should let him do these five things in our lives and it would change who we are. Are you ready? Here's the first thing. He wants to meet our deepest need. He wants to meet our deepest need, friends. I'm telling you, he said, I've come to preach the gospel to the poor. In other words, what he was saying, I think, in all these, he's talking about two things, the material and the spiritual. He's talking about he's come to uh, preach the gospel to the poor, those who don't have in that day, and it's still this day today. Um, uh, the very first thing that Jesus does is talk says, I'm going to talk to the poor spiritually and physically. And, and in that time and in our day-to-day, the poor are seen as lower-class people. They were really lower-class back then. And when you go to a third-world country today, they're still lower-class. Even here in the United States, poor people are looked down upon. I'm sorry. We are, especially when we say, why don't you get a job, you know, not knowing their, their plight. But Jesus, Jesus looks at us and he says, and he said it in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are poor, um, for they are going to get the kingdom of God. And he wasn't talking there about physically poor. He was talking about spiritually poor. And I think here he's, he's letting the poor know that as far as God was concerned, the poor are important people no matter who they are. They are important, um, the weak, the helpless. They matter to God. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he's saying also that because you don't know me, you're also poor in spirit. And can you imagine all the people sitting around him heard that and said, oh, I'm glad he's talking about the poor. But yet they were all the poor. All the poor. Uh, I'll tell you, you know, in these... 40 years of being in the, in the pastorate. Phyllis Ann and I have served a lot of churches. I remember one church that was telling me um, they, at the interview, they told me that they were a poor church. They told me that. And everybody I talked to after that, whenever it came up to finances, they would always say to me, yeah, we're a poor church. Well, they paid their apportionments all the time, and they always had ample budget, and amp- they did great ministry. But as far as they were concerned, they were poor. And God wants us to quit doing that. He wants us to quit looking at ourselves and saying, compared to these people, we're poor. I think he wants us to quit doing that spiritually and physically. We are, we are <laughs> I'm telling you, the poorest person in this country has a telephone. Amen? Are you all with me? They might not have a house that they sleep in, but they have a phone. I'm sorry, that's not poor. Okay? And we need to quit looking down as those of us who look at, the, look at uh, folks who come and need things. And I, I, one time we were doing a food bank, and, and, um, and they wanted to quit doing the food bank. And, and uh, I just questioned them. I said, why? And they said, well, we only really serve about two people who who really need this food bank. And the one woman said, yeah, I'm tired of going out and putting, because they took the food in bags out to the people's car. 
And she said, I took that food out and put it in the back of that Mercedes, and I just had a little bit of problem with that. I said, well, but we got those two people. If we shut this down, those two people that really need this. So they're still doing it all these years later. God wants us. All of us fit here somewhere, don't we? There's lack everywhere in our lives. But God wants us to know that Jesus came to meet the deepest need, the deepest need in our lives. And I, and I guess uh, we're finding that out in this pandemic. Um, two things that we can count on. Are you ready? One, Jesus will help us endure everything we're going through. That's how he's going to take care of our, our deepest need. And then on top of it, not just endure it, but overcome. He will help us endure and overcome anything that's going on in our lives, whatever poverty it is, you know. Uh, could be lack of joy. That's poverty, my friends. The lack of fulfillment, the lack of direction, the lack of purpose in our lives. And Jesus says, and we can trust him with this deep word, that we should grab a hold of him and let him meet our deepest need. We should let him do it, friends. My goodness, things would change in our lives, wouldn't they? Let me give you a second one. He wants to set us free from whatever is holding you down. Listen to it. He says, I have been sent to re uh, proclaim release to the captives. I like the NIV. It says to proclaim freedom to those who are in prison. And again, I think, it, I think he's talking two things here. Physical people who are in prison and then all of us, the rest of us who are imprisoned. You wouldn't believe how many people are in prison. All you have to do is watch the news and see how many people are sexually bound um, to illegal things going on. Um, alcohol and gambling, you know, uh, is such a um, powerful, powerful thing that, that encaptures us and causes us to be prisoners to that desire. And those are the things that we can see. Those are the things we, we can see. You know, you can see the results of those. Um, uh, terrible situations, you know, and, and they get into problems and everything. Um, but then there's those other things that cause us to be prisoners. And um, see if you don't touch one of these. Um, guilt. Guilt is a terrible prisoner. Fear um, of what's coming next is, holds us prisoner all the time. Uh, resentment. Um, depression. Depression is a prisoner that holds us in jail. Jealousy of somebody else, you know. At least I'm not, into, I'm not jealous anymore than of anybody that has a red truck because I had one. Yeah. Uh, ambition can hold you prisoner. Um, revenge is one that holds us powerfully. I guess what I'm saying and what Jesus is saying is that what causes us to be prisoners is anything that controls us. If we control it, we're not a prisoner to it. If it controls us, we become a prisoner. I like it in John. Jesus, if we didn't hear it, Jesus said, um, I, am, I am that guy, the Messiah. He said, I am the son who comes to set you free. And that's the only way you can be free indeed, is by trusting in him. Jesus came to proclaim uh, to all of us who are captive to whatever thing that imprisons us, 
And um, he says, I want to set you free. Can you imagine? Can you imagine uh, not, not having that guilt in your life anymore for whatever? For whatever, not having that guilt. Can you imagine um, no longer letting um, anything control your anger? No longer letting anger control you. Life changes when we, when we let Jesus do what he came to do. We should let him set us free. Amen? Mm, that's a tough one. Here's the third thing he wants to do. He wants to, he wants to give us a new outlier, outlook on life. He wants to give us a new outlook, outlook on life, if you didn't hear that at home. Let me say it again. He wants to give us a new outlook on life. Listen to what he says. I have come to give recover, recovery sight to those who are blind. I could spend a lot of time here, but I think this thing that Jesus came to do, his priority, his goal, his job in life was to come and give us who are blind sight. And uh, yes, we know he gave people who were physically blind, he gave them sight. But I think he was looking at everybody there when he said, I am the one who's, that uh, Isaiah is talking about, and he looked at them and he says, I want to give you sight, my friends. If you want it, here's the truth. And the truth is that God loves us more than we can ever imagine. He wants to hold on to us and he wants us to get out of the darkness that we're in. He came to proclaim recovery to the sight to those who are blinded by the things of this world. And that could be religion, that could be work, whatever it may be. Um, prejudice, oh my goodness, a lack of faith, um, out and out sin prevents us. Sin prevents us. When I talk about this, can, can I take a minute? Just a thought just came to me. Is it, you got a minute? You know, we're, we're going to have a conference this year, a general conference in the United Methodist Church. And um, it's going to cause a split, and we will have to make a decision sometime soon whether we will go progressive or state traditionalist. And um, it's all because of blindness to the truth. I, you know how simplistic I am. When, when, when a, an elder, of which I am an elder, took me 10 years of hard work to become that elder at, at that point in the way they did everything. And um, when, you, when you become an elder, you stand in front of probably, well, I wish Sue was here, probably four or 5,000 people along with the bishop. You stand in front of those people and you make this covenant. You make this covenant it's not a ceremony. It's a covenant that you make with that bishop of the United Methodist Church, all the bishops and, and this conference and all the people that were there, and most importantly, with God. And in those questions, there are 18 unbelievably powerful questions. And in those questions are, one of them are, will you be faithful to the United Methodist Church and its doctrine? Okay. And everybody says yes to all 18 questions. 
It's like in a couple, couple months, we'll have the confirmation kids come up here. And my goal is that they don't say yes to all those questions just because you're supposed to say yes. Amen? I'm praying that they make these, these yeses from their heart. And if they don't, don't do it. These people, uh, these, these pastors who become elders and leaders in the church, make a statement to God and everybody and say, yes, I believe in the United Methodist doctrine and I will live up to it. Now here's my judgmental self. I came home one time from all of our meetings that I had to go into and I said to Phyllis Ann, I said, you know, sometimes I just think the people that I'm with aren't telling the truth about their journey of being a pastor in the United Methodist Church. And so they stand up there, we all stand up there in front of all these people, family, people, churches we were serving at the time come up, you know, just busloads of people come to that service. And they say yes to all this. But in truth, they, they're they're literally not telling the truth. They're blinded. We're blinded, my friends, because the people I'm talking about don't carry a Bible around. They carry the discipline around. And the discipline is not where we get our word from, is it? And so we have bishops and we have pastors today that said, yes, I believe in the doctrine of the United Methodist Church, and I will live up to it. And yet... They're doing things that we call not right. Marrying same-sex people. I'm sorry, it's not right. I stand on that, and not because I, I think it's not right, but I'm like Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday said, if God is against it, so am I. I think we're being duped. <laughs> I think we're being duped, my friends. Because the next thing that's going to come along is, it's okay to sell your kids. Okay? You know? It's okay to sell your kids. Who cares? Sell them into some sexual factory. You know? It, it's all right. We've been duped to thinking that this is the problem. It's not the problem, friends. The homosexuality is not the problem. The problem is we're blinded. Amen? Are you with me on that? If you're not, that's okay. It's okay. I don't want to twisting, but I think we're blinded to God's truth. Well, sorry about that. <laughs> Let me give you a fourth thing. Oh, this is a good one coming off of that. Jesus wants us to feel good. Now, I know that sounds strange, but he wants us. He doesn't want us to go through life. I know Christians who go through life thinking that they have to be sad all the time because it's just not right to be happy and and, uh, and I need to be downtrodden. He says uh, he has come to set those who are downtrodden to set them at liberty, to let them have friends. He, uh, when I say that if you look through the Gospels, you'll see this. Time and time again in Matthew chapter 11, he says, Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. I want you to know today that if you're downtrodden about anything, Whatever is oppressing you, Jesus doesn't want you to be there. He wants to build you up emotionally. He wants you to feel good. I know that sounds strange, but he, he does want us to feel good and to uh, um, experience the joy that we should have because of who he is in our lives and what he's done. 
Uh, he says, I want you to be full of joy. I want you to experience abundance. And it's in, in Matthew 10.10, uh, 10, you know, um, or John 10.10. 10. He wants to give us life more than we could ever understand it. God wants us to enjoy life, and you know we should let him. Let him um, help us feel better. Amen? Let me give you the last one um, uh, that I think is in the Scripture. He wants, um, he wants each of us to experience God's favor. He says um, to, uh, he has come to do nothing more than to pro- proclaim this favorable year of the Lord. I like that New Living Testament. It says he's come to proclaim that the time of the Lord's favor is here. Mm. Mm. We think the God of the Bible is a doomsday guy, angry and vindictive, but he's not. I don't believe he is. He wasn't. That was the Old Testament, but we're in a different dispensation today. We're not under the dispensation of law. Now we're under the dispensation of, of grace because of Jesus Christ's great gift on the cross, and he has given us love and grace and mercy and compassion beyond our understanding. And he wants us to hold on. I, I, I want you to know he's not mad at you. He's not mad at me. He's not uh, perpetually upset over the church. I don't think he is. I think he's more, more uh, patient with us. We, we seem to think he's an impatient God who doesn't want anything to do with us. I think he wants to pour out blessings on our lives to overwhelm us with his favor. My goodness. We know John 3.16, don't we? But we should remember John 3.17 too. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it. He didn't do that. But that the world through him might be saved. So if we want to hear what Jesus is saying in this, in this scripture, then all we need to turn our lives over to him and say, God, I receive your grace. I receive your gift of, cro- of, of the cross of Calvary. I receive your son, Jesus Christ, in my, in my life. Even though I don't deserve it, I will still take it. And that's the day that he wants us all to have in our lives, that we would give him our heart more than anything else. You know, we should let him help us experience his favor in our lives, what we call grace. Mm. Mm. My friends, Jesus, this first recorded sermon tells us what Jesus came to do. Now, if you didn't hear it, let me explain it to you again. He came to meet our deepest needs. He came to set us free from whatever it is that controls us. He came to help us see life from the angles of spiritual truth. And he came to heal our hurts. came to heal our hurts and restore us to joy emotionally and spiritually. And most of all, he came that we might experience his grace in our lives. Turn our hearts over to him. That's the driving force of his ministry right there. All summed up in those five little things. And he never lost sight of that. Even when he turned his face to Jerusalem, he knew what was going to happen. And he had to do it so that we can let him do what he did for us. Amen? And then the thought of it is, so what? So what does that mean for us? So if we grab a hold of these five things, it's not for us to get holier than thou. It's so that God can use someone 
who knows these things because he wants to send someone your way that is blinded. He wants to send someone your way that is prisoner. And we, because we have let him do it to us, can help them find Jesus too. That's our goal. That's our goal, to be Christ-like. Amen? All right. Let's pray together. God, thank you for that word this morning. Um, thank you for that that you put on our hearts um, that would challenge us in this time um, to know that we don't have to be who we are, that you want us to be somebody much more than we are, much more special than we are, simply so we can be used by you, Lord God. And that's our desire, to be in ministry for you, with you, and to, and to see you do miraculous things, not only in, in our lives, but in the lives of our families and friends and total strangers and even the people we don't like. We pray, Lord God, your grace in our lives. We pray that we would let you do it. We should. Help us to do that, Lord, we pray today. In your precious Son's holy name, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Jesus the Christ, and all of God's children said, Amen. Praise God. All right. All right. Let's, let's stand and sing one more song. Let the, um, um, my peace. My peace. I love, you know how much I love this song. It's a perfect day to sing it. It's still snowing. All right. <laughs>